Welcome to episode eight of Lead, Travel, Pray. Today we are going to focus on a leadership topic that is relevant for all leadership levels and all leadership types, including individual contributors who want to be seen as thought leaders and most importantly, heard. So our topic is candor. Uh, I'm Rebecca Ellis and we'll be moderating for the Lead, Travel, Pray team today. Also with us is Sandy Schneider. Hi. And Michelle Strike. Hello. So we're delighted to be continuing on this podcast journey with you. And uh, we've recently wrapped up our 100 days of 100 travel tips. So be sure to check that out as well as past episodes on leadtravelpray.com and also on Twitter at leadtravelpray. Those 100 tips are fantastic. I just wanted to comment on that. Rebecca, that was um, sort of your brainchild and we jumped into it maybe with not um, the clearest plan about how we were going to execute, but um, at the end, I can say really well done. Kudos to you, Rebecca. Thank you, and thank you guys for contributing to content for it. So we've gotten, I think, a lot of likes and maybe some additional subscribers because of it. So hopefully anyone listening to this will find that useful and check it out. All right, so let's jump to today's topic of candor. Uh, When I look up Merriam-Webster's definition, they talk about unreserved, honest, or sincere expression. Basically, they wrap it up with the word or synonym of forthrightness. Um, So I'm curious to know how you two define candor. Michelle, do you want to go first? Sure. So I think about it as being transparent. So um, the way that I would define that is probably sharing what I'm thinking and feeling. Um, I think a key to candor for me and how I define it, though, is in a respectful way. So one of the things that I talk to a lot of leaders about is that candor does not mean unfiltered. Sometimes I have to figure out how to filter it in order to get my true point across Um, But I also think that filtering doesn't mean sugarcoating. Candor Mm -hmm. is transparency. However, the respect is necessary in order for the receiver to be able to hear the message. Great. Thank you. How about you, Sandy? Well, that was a really good definition. (laughs) Um, Mine is really simple. Uh, My definition of candor is being honest and direct, even when it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I think the uncomfortable part is key. Yeah, I like it. Um, A couple of us have grown up in the Midwest, and so my first thought is it's the opposite of Midwest niceness, which is the disease I've named, um, and I think others as well. I'm not sure who originally coined it um, for what we often see, which is the um, I'm going to tell someone only something nice, right? I think it's the Bambi movie where it's like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And um, really, for me, the opposite of candor is that, like, being able to break through the niceness factor and telling people what they really need to hear, even if it's uncomfortable being either the giver or receiver of that. So the ultimate for me in candor is just saying what needs to be said, um, even if it's not necessarily a fun thing to say. So why does it matter? Why, why would we choose this as a topic? Why do you even think it's important at work or at play? Um, Sandy, what are your thoughts? When I was thinking about it from a work perspective, I think uh, efficiency comes to mind really quickly. So I feel like um, throughout my career, the pace 
of work has only gotten faster and more hectic. Mm -hmm. And considering what we need to accomplish and the timeline we need to accomplish, there simply is not time for someone to not share what's going on in their head, what their opinion is, what their thought is on something. Um, There's no time to tiptoe around issues. Uh, We really need to tackle them head on if we want to achieve our goal by by the timeline that we've set forth. So for me, I feel like it's um, necessary in work to to get the work done on time. Mm -hmm. Great points. Michelle, what would you add to that? Um, I think it's important because without candor, we can oftentimes walk around holding resentment Mm -hmm. for for others. And um, going back to what Sandy was saying, the efficiency at work, if if you're thinking something and you're holding it back in the moment and yet it comes out later, I can sometimes be resentful of that person, especially if they have a pattern of that. Mm. So um, for me, it's about saying what needs to be said early on. And um, that means being willing to listen to that other person's candor, even if they go a different direction than I would want to, or being willing to put it out there myself early on. And I think that ultimately why that's important is that um, candor is about establishing trust. Mm -hmm. I trust people that are really transparent with me and tell me what I need to hear, maybe not what I always want to hear. And I think that that is um, foundational. And as a coach, that's really important. It's part of how I establish Um, trust with the individual. Sometimes I have to be really candid if they're not making the progress that um, was set out in the goals. And that can be really hard for somebody that's really trying, but they're not necessarily trying and executing in the right areas. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's about, um, I don't want them to be resentful at the end when I say, yeah, you kind of made some progress. I'd rather tell them early on and get it out there and work through that discomfort. Yeah, I think you made some really good points. For me, it's important because of the chance to um, grow and develop. And if people aren't being candid with me about what my opportunities are, then I probably have a blind side to them and otherwise won't know. And the same with people who I have responsibility to grow and develop. And, you know, I think about even just as a mom, um, we often kind of – fail to recognize maybe opportunities in our own kids or we don't really want to tell them like hey you 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 need to improve at this or that and what a disservice we're doing them in the long run right and maybe not like in a sports way being critical of you know you weren't the fastest athlete I don't I don't really mean it from that sense but you know watching my own kiddo like she's pretty bright but she doesn't have very good study habits and I know last spring semester the finals didn't go so well for her and I could have helped her make excuses for herself of why that is, or I could have said, hey, I didn't watch you really open a book much over Labor Day weekend, and those finals that came right after that were really pretty painful for you, and you might just want to think about that. You're, you were pretty confident. You're, she's had strengths finders, right? So we can talk in this language like you're high in self-assurance, you're pretty confident, adaptable, kind of running with it and, and ebbing and flowing with your work. But for things like finals, which you're still new in high school and don't know much about, like I didn't see you really applying yourself in a way that you should. And I think a lot of parents would be like, oh, I'm so, you know, bummed and that's upsetting. But it's like you got to be able to tell people even what they don't want to hear. And um, ultimately it was like, yeah, you're right. I, I appreciate that. And I could use some help around that. 
And in the workplace, I see that's the thing. Like, we don't really want to address performance problems till they're severe. And then it's kind of too late to really be helpful for a person, to a person, rather than just addressing it when you see it and starting to build a plan together to close that gap. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I liked your personal example with um, your daughter. I believe that my brother would say that I did not have this issue growing up of lack of candor. (laughs) Um, As a teenager, um, I think that this still happens today. He wore way too much cologne. (laughs) And so there were times as we were walking out the house, I'm like, oh my gosh, you smell like bug spray. You have to go and wipe some of that off. And he'd say, Michelle, you're so rude. Why would you say that? And I said, because everybody else walking behind you at school is thinking that and they're not going to tell you they're just going to talk about you so I'm at least going to tell you that you stink and you should fix it before you get to school and um, so I think that that's a good example of he definitely didn't want to hear it but it's something that he needed to fix otherwise people would have thought poorly of him forever yeah isn't it funny I like that example Michelle because let's just say your brother went to high school smelling like bug spray right because he had too much cologne on (laughs) Um, there would be a lot of people who would be talking about him, but not mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I think it's interesting. So what holds us back? Is it uh, fear of how that person is going to react to our candid comment? Is it we don't want to be perceived as rude or as a jerk? Um, I liked, Rebecca, your earlier comments that um, – I, I was certainly raised in an environment where if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. So things were mm-hmm. labeled as something nice to say or not nice to say. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's probably a number of reasons why we hold back um, our true thoughts, perspectives, opinions, um, which prohibits us from demonstrating effective Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And what I've noticed with my work around the globe is it is very different culturally. And um, I do think there's a flavor of which um, Americans, particularly Midwesterners, have this challenge around the sorting of not nice and nice and and withholding a lot of information. In um, Kim Scott's book on radical candor, I like how she um, weaves in the trust piece. And Michelle, you've mentioned that already as well. Um, she calls radical candor the point in which you are caring deeply enough so that you have that um, relationship, that trust that what you're about to say is really to benefit someone and not to tear them down. But then you're also able to challenge directly. And that's what she calls the radical candor kind of equation. It's being able to care deeply enough and to challenge directly enough that you're getting to that point of true kind of radical candor. And um, I think we often forget about having that maybe responsibility and that the relationship is strong enough to tell people those things. Um, And we just worry about the consequences of what could happen badly about it versus kind of the obligation for making something good out of it. And we've always heard feedback is a gift, but I think once you're able to start having exchanges in that way, it really is such a a blessing um, to one another to be able to have that, that deep kind of candid, honest conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the things I like your question, Sandy, about what holds you back, I think that it requires courage. And um, I think that it's hard sometimes to convince ourselves to have the courage in the moment. There's a lot of ways that we can talk ourselves out of it. 
Mm-hmm. And um, it's it requires saying um, the courage that it takes to have this conversation is worth it. This relationship is worth it. This this investment in this individual is worth it for me to have the courage mm-hmm. and um, say what needs to be said in the moment. I don't think that mm-hmm. as young people that we are taught how to build up that courage and how to notice that and how to work through the discomfort of it. We're taught like if you don't like it, don't do it rather than sometimes you still have to do it. It's uncomfortable. What do you do with that discomfort? And I deal with a lot of adults who have never been able to figure out how do I work through that discomfort? And I don't want to have the conversation, but how do I? And it's so Mm -hmm. much easier to work on it. Rebecca, like you having teenagers, so much easier to start to build those skills now rather than in your 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm -hmm. True story. Absolutely. Yeah. What other ideas do you have, Sandy, around how to improve um, candor or even what good candor looks like? I think we've touched on a couple of these points already. I think effective candor is honest. It's not Mm -hmm. sugar-coated. I think that, Michelle, that's one of the the terms that you used. I agree. I think it's honest, um, it's straightforward, and it's so important not only is the words that you're saying that you're you're honest and you're delivering them in a clear fashion, but it's the the way that you deliver that message, um, mm-hmm. showing care and concern. And I like Michelle that you mentioned um, going through the thought process in advance of that difficult conversation to say, well, why is this important? It's important because I want to have um, a good relationship with this person. It's important because I want to achieve the common goal of our team, whatever that might be. Um, So thinking about why this is important, you care. You care about this person. You care about the team that you're working on. You care about the outcome that you are striving to achieve. And I think that that's that's really important and helps to shape the way that you deliver the message and potentially the confidence that you have in walking into that maybe difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sandy, I agree. And just building on that, I think that um, for me, effective candor looks like being willing to talk about what I call the thing behind the thing. I think it's mm-hmm. super easy to get caught up in whatever example or trigger is right in front of us, but that's just a symptom of something oftentimes it's going on behind the scenes and if we really stopped and didn't get so wrapped up in that one situation that happened in front of us and we're, we could really talk about the pattern that we're noticing and that's what's really bothering us that's the thing behind the thing that's effective candor is that I'm willing to mm-hmm. go there with you because I care enough about you and our working relationship or personal relationship in order to work through the discomfort for me, in, in being willing to talk about the thing behind the thing, it oftentimes requires me to do some reframing. I need to mm-hmm. think things like the reason that you're doing what you're doing makes sense in your own mind. So can I get curious mm-hmm. about why that is? You have a reason for doing what you're doing. What is that? And the more that I can get curious about it, the more that um, it's easier to get at the 
deep stuff of the thing behind the Mm -hmm. thing but if I come at you just with bluntness and um, directness without any filter it's super hard to get to the point of talking about the thing behind the thing because we just offended the person yeah Cantor is not shooting from the hip right it's not just blurting (laughs) out whatever it is you have to Mm -hmm. say it's preparing to deliver that message effectively and I absolutely agree that it takes some time to reframe in our own heads potentially before we have that conversation. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you both have made really good points. And um, there are certain techniques that definitely help keep that at more of an open exchange, right? And it's even little things like, you know, I noticed this, I did, you know, had this observation, I have this assumption versus you're doing this, you made that, you know, all those you, just the even simple you versus I Um, things that automatically start to put a person at defense and even if they tend to agree or understand you know we all kind of felt probably that at times where it's like now I just feel like I've got to start to defend rather than accept and so there are certainly tactics for helping people um, be more neutral in a conversation and it does require being planful about it and and just really thoughtful about the words that you're choosing and the the moment that you've that you've chosen to make that um, exchange happen and those types of just yeah strategies that I think we could all benefit from so how about a candor role model Um, do either of you have a role model who you would say really just you know kind of nails it when it comes to candor and a person who you look up to and aspire to act in that same way I do. It's a former boss, and um, he's really good at sharing what's on his mind and getting straight to the point without beating around the bush, and will say what needs to be said. He's also really interested in what I'm really thinking, and so if he Mm -hmm. sensed that I was holding back or wondering if there's more to what I'm saying or not saying, maybe he can read a nonverbal expression on my face or feels like Michelle would probably have more to say about this than what she's saying right now. Mm-hmm. He would ask about that and, and say, is what's really going on here? Is there something that you're not telling me or um, is there anything else? And so I appreciated his probes because it always let me know that he cared about what I was really thinking and feeling at the end of the day. And that allowed me not to sugarcoat it with him. Even if I mm-hmm. would completely disagree with what he said, we were able to have that conversation. I think, Rebecca, one of the things that you just mentioned was around the neutrality. For me, that's super important. And one of the um, things that I've been told as somebody who gives super candid feedback <laughs> is um, that I, when I'm giving that feedback, though, I don't think I'm right. I see my view as one view, and I'm equally mm-hmm. interested in your view. And I think going back to my former boss, he and I had a lot of respect for each other's views. And so we were able mm-hmm. to equally hear each other out, even if we saw it differently. And I feel like that is truly key to the candid two-way back-and-forth communication. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge, Michelle, this idea of being right and when you walk into that conversation thinking that your perspective is the right perspective, that comes out in your tone, that comes out in how you deliver the message, and it puts the other person on the defense, 
which certainly yes. doesn't lead to a productive conversation. But it's hard. You have to be self-aware of that to walk into mm-hmm. a conversation saying, this is my perspective. It's only one perspective. I believe in this perspective. Mm-hmm. However, it may not be the right perspective. I totally agree. And there are times that I have to postpone that conversation until I can get to a place of more neutrality. Right. So that's the whole idea of thinking about what am I thinking? What am I feeling? If I'm feeling super strong about something, I do need to ask myself, um, are you curious about where they're coming from? Can you get curious? Is there even a 2% chance that you're wrong? (laughs) And um, sometimes that 2% is all I can get to. But the 2% allows me to have a different tone going into that conversation. Sometimes I find myself getting super triggered in the moment and don't realize, oh, I felt stronger about that than I thought I did. So I yeah. do I do this for myself. I do this in coaching. It's about stopping, taking a deep breath, a couple of them. It allows you to get from the emotional part of your brain to the logical part of your brain in that moment so that I can try to think of a question and get at least a little curious. It buys me a second or two. Sometimes, yeah. I again, I don't know it till it's happening live and in the moment. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And a couple thoughts on that for me. One is just that, you know, I remember being told the highest level of of listening, like active listening, is listening to the point of being willing to have your mind shaped around a topic. I like that. Not not in that rebuttal state, right, of, okay, they're going to say this and I'm going to come back with that, boom, you know, but really just suspending judgment and freeing yourself to just listen and then... Um, you may have the same opinion, but th- it actually could, and in, in being a better listener, actually reshape even what you think. And so sometimes there's distance and space in that. It's a little bit harder to do in real time, but I think we could all aspire to be that highest level of active listening, and, and it would be beneficial. Absolutely. The other thing it made me think of, Michelle, was uh, you're in, we recently had an exchange about amygdala hijacks, and mm-hmm. I admitted to having had one recently, <laughs> which was actually spurred on by this, like, um, me feeling like I was having to defend a position because a person wasn't listening to the, like, they were just to be an authority on this subject that I knew more about than they did, but... Um, it just put me in a very defensive position and that I am not at my best when I am trying to persuade someone to think differently when um, I feel like they have this authoritative um, mindset. And um, I should have just suspended judgment and said, you know, this isn't the chance for me to shape a mindset right now and my advocating my case is only going to get us both further frustrated about the situation. But um, anyway, the amygdala hijacks a real thing, right? How we help our mental, <laughs> our mental response and then our physical response that comes as a result of that. Um, candor can really start to push some of those buttons, which are <laughs> for sure also something we have to be smart about guarding against. Yeah, so Rebecca, I appreciate you sharing the example because I think it's real and it happens to any of us who decide to have the courage to try to speak our mind and challenge somebody else, try to persuade someone, it happens. And um, one of the things that I think about in those moments is um, something that the person who coached me on these skills um, taught me in the very beginning was... The, the goal of the conversation should really be about meeting the person where they are, mm-hmm. not trying to drag them where I am. Right. 
And so I can feel the difference when I am trying to meet them where they are. I am curious. I am trying to do a better job of listening. And I can tell the moment where I start trying to drag that person to my perspective because it gets hard. Mm-hmm. And I shut down and I go into the, I'm right. I just need you to hear me. And I say it more direct more straightforward and louder (laughs) (laughs) and that (laughs) that very rarely helps somebody come toward me right and that should not be the goal to begin with and so I can I can find myself doing that and I'm like back off right meet them where they are sometimes in my amygdala hijack that's as good as I get (laughs) yeah and um you know they say every action has an equal and opposite reaction from like a physics perspective but I think every opinion has an equal and opposite opinion right and the harder you push on those things then the harder the resistance is and gosh from a political perspective I sadly watch a fair amount of this go on in social media and just wonder who is really going to change each other's mind here but yet it's just the ramping up of and the emotional kind of um escalation that you watch and you're like wow um nothing good will come of this yet how many times just in our own lives are we in that same situation and not able to be that observer and really step back and reflect on nothing good is going to come of that either. But, you know, we like to win, definitely. Sandy, what are your thoughts? Um, I was just thinking about how to deliver feedback, effective feedback. Um, mm-hmm. So we've identified, you know, some of the challenges. We've identified conceptually why this is important. Um, but thinking about what that, what that looks like. Um, there's a, a model, it's a very simple model uh, called the STAR model, um, where the idea is to give effective, positive feedback. You clearly identify to the person you're talking to what the situation or task was, the context for the situation, mm-hmm. what they did that was positive, and then how that led to the positive results. Um, and that, I think, is, mm-hmm. is pretty easy for people to do. Um, if you recognize that effective feedback looks like more than just, hey, you did a good job, then I think um, the STAR model is mm-hmm. pretty intuitive. But it's how you use that model to deliver constructive feedback that has been very helpful for me. So it starts the same with describing the situation or the task um, and then what action the person took that didn't go well, that wasn't good, that wasn't the way it was supposed to be done. And this is where the, the candor is really important, right, to be very specific about what happened that didn't work or didn't go the way that it was supposed to. Then explaining the result that you got, why it was a problem, not just because I didn't like it, but because it didn't achieve the the end result that we were looking for. And then the key here is to come back with suggestions about the uh, preferred action, which would lead to a preferred result. So next time, what could you do differently? How would you address this um, in a different way when this situation comes up again? And I think when you add on that alternative action and alternative result suggestion, that's where you show the other person that you care. And that's where someone's defenses might drop as they've just been told that whatever they may have worked really hard on wasn't good, wasn't right, didn't achieve the goal. But to come back at it and say, 
hey, here's how we might address this differently in the future, I think really shows from a leader perspective that you care about that person and you want to help them, you want to provide them with the support um, to, uh, to achieve, to be successful in whatever they do in the future. So for me, that has been, um, and it's, it's not like I sit down and, and draft it out before the conversation, but it's certainly a, a cognitive process that I go through okay, so if this didn't work and I need to share that feedback, how do I help them? What, what suggestions do I have for how it could be done differently? And I don't always know the answer. So sometimes it's really just a conversation. Like, what could we do differently? How do we tackle this? Because this, this situation is going to come up again, and I don't know how to do it better. But maybe you and I, or maybe we bring in some additional team members, we can brainstorm and come up with uh, alternative actions. Yeah, I like that. The DDI model, I think, is the um, official owner of that star and star AR. I agree. It's been something that now that I've had exposure to it for about a decade, I have definitely leaned on heavily in a way to frame up that um, that conversation. Yeah, and I, I, too, like a model for being able to give feedback. It just helps me know the different components that I uh, need to touch on. One of the things in the way that you were talking about it, Sandy, that struck me that I think is worth noting that's, in my opinion, really necessary for true candor is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I think that if I am not in a position of vulnerability, it can be really hard for me to enter into a candid mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, the vulnerability requires courage. Vulnerability requires me to um, not have the answer for that employee in that moment of what would I do differently. It's being transparent. I don't really know how to approach this differently. I feel like we've had this conversation four times. I've walked away feeling clear, yet we're back again. And so my goal is to really do it differently. But I'll be honest mm-hmm. and say I don't know how. Mm-hmm. Like having that sort of conversation requires me to be willing to be vulnerable in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is part of the key to that person being open and receiving that message and everything, because it's hard to get mad at somebody when you can tell that they're being really vulnerable in that moment. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't like the message, I'm not going to be so defensive if I can tell that you are being willing to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and have this conversation. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Any last tips on how to best give and receive feedback? I have one for receiving feedback. So um, as somebody who has to present psychological data to people all day, (laughs) every day, I see a lot of different reactions for feedback and um, also get feedback on myself. Um, I think that one of the key things is to be open and don't argue in the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. So we all have this natural physiological response when we feel threatened and feedback can feel like a threat in the moment um, where we go into fight or flight mode. And so the being open and um, not arguing requires us to kind of work to suspend that natural inclination that we have and realizing that, again, the person is not meaning to... um, do something to threaten us. We don't need to get fearful in that moment. It's about being open because the whole goal, in my opinion, of the way that I'm responding to feedback in the moment is to promote your willingness to do it again. Mm -hmm. 
And if I'm either defending and arguing or just shutting down to where you Mm -hmm. can't tell, do I take it seriously? Do I care? Do I not care? Neither one of those reactions helps you want to have that conversation with me again. And I want you to work through the courage that it takes to have that candid conversation with me in the future. So I feel like that is really key in our response. I agree. Yeah, I think that's great. How about you, Sandy? Um, I, I think that we've covered all of the, the tips that I had jotted down as my thoughts on feedback. Thanks, Rebecca. Awesome. Yeah, the only thing I would add probably is um, just to remember, and I think one of you made this point already, uh, I believe it might have been Michelle, even if you only believe 2%, like there probably is a nugget of truth in what someone is telling you. And so on that point about trying not to be defensive, even if you don't agree, um, there probably is a piece of it that you need to hear. And so just being willing to hear it and kind of back to that suspending judgment, you know, maybe you need to collect more data and ask more people. And maybe it's like, yeah, that that person clearly just has me wrong or had that situation wrong. But usually if you talk with a couple people, it's like, okay, yeah, there's probably some truth to that. And I, you know, it's it's definitely something I need to take into consideration. So I think it's um, being uh, willing to, and to your point, Michelle, around vulnerability, being vulnerable enough and, and humble enough to ask multiple people's opinion where you start to get, um, you know, like a 360 does that formally for people. Um, but we would want to get to a place, right, where you're not waiting on a tool or some level of anonymity to hear this um, this type of feedback or information on what you could do better. And so that's my my last, I guess, piece is just look for that nugget of truth Um even if it's it stung or you didn't agree kind of wholesale with what a person had to say about it, there probably is an element of it that's worth acting on or doing something with. Rebecca, I think that what you're saying is really important and key for our audience to keep in mind. It's a it's about understanding the impact that you're having on somebody else. And that impact is their reality in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that in my coaching, I oftentimes talk to people about the difference between their intent Mm -hmm. and the impact that they're having on somebody else. And so where we disagree with something, oftentimes it's because what they're saying doesn't match our intention. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And that doesn't make it wrong for them and right for us. But it is important that we remain open to the impact that we're having. I personally have gotten feedback from a colleague who said, hey, in this situation, I don't think that this is what you were intending, but here's the impact that I walked away with. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to know. And I was very grateful for that feedback. I didn't agree that that's how I meant for that to come across. But had she not had the courage to share that with me, I never would have known that that that's the message that she was walking away with. Mm-hmm. And um, it allowed us to clear the air and not have it sitting between the two of us. And we moved on. That's a great example. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. All right. So just with our last minutes here, um, what recommendations would we have around training or books that would help a person improve their ability to be candid? Michelle, you want to go first? Sure. So I have a few books that are kind of core to this topic that I recommend to a lot of people and have used myself. The first is called Leadership and Self-Deception. It's by Arbinger Institute. 
And it is key to being able to reframe a situation. There's not that many books that get at that component of it. So it's written in the form of a fable from a CEO's perspective. So super easy read. Mm -hmm. And it's short. Um, The second book is um, kind of goes with the third one, either difficult conversations or crucial conversations, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the follow up book on accountability. I think that difficult conversations, if you feel like you don't have core skills on being able to be candid, I think that that's a good place to start. If you feel like you do have experience with it, but it's in those really tough situations that you struggle, I think that crucial conversations is a good go to. Awesome. Vital Smarts has some really good training as well that lines up with yep. that crucial conversations. So that's good. I also like, um, I mentioned already the Radical Candor book by Kim Scott. Um, and she actually has a lot of resources on her website as well that I would encourage people to read blogs and such. Um, puts out good LinkedIn posts and things as well that just help keep it top of mind for people. Um, It's also written a lot in a story format with some good kind of tangible advice um, as well. So I like that balance there. I also um, really have enjoyed the book Trusted Advisor by David Meister. And that was um, introduced to me probably about a decade ago. And again, it's one that is really written from kind of a research and evidence-based perspective, but has a nice blend of application and checklist and things to keep in mind. So I found that to be really useful and have um, actually suggested that to many friends who consult because it's about building a deep enough relationship that you can tell people what they need to hear, which for me is kind of the epitome of being in that ultimate kind of candid space. All right. So I think that's it for us on episode eight here. Uh, We've enjoyed having a chance to share our thoughts with you. Um, If you have any comments or any feedback that you want to give, feel free to comment down in the post area and also uh, like our page so that you have updates to our subscriptions and um, iTunes or wherever it is you go to get podcasts so that you know when those come out. Uh, We try and post about monthly, so that's the cadence that we're going for. And again, appreciate everyone out there who's listening and giving us feedback on this as we're all learners in this process and um, happy to be using this kind of new vehicle to share and connect with one another. So with that, I'd like to thank my co-host, Sandy and Michelle, for uh, this great chat today. Thanks, Rebecca, for hosting us.